If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning once again to Philippians chapter 4. I'll say that one more time next week, and then that'll be the last time that I make that statement for a while. It's on page 982 of those uh, blue pew Bibles, if you don't have your own Bible with you today, or the text is printed in your bulletin this morning. As you open it up, can I just remind us of something? Can I remind us that, uh, that we don't want to allow the familiarity of what we're doing right now, opening up the Word and hearing it together, the, the, the frequency with which we do that, we don't want to allow that to dull or to blunt the edge of the Word of God. What we've got before us right now, the opportunity to hold, the opportunity to hear, the opportunity to read the Word of God and have it explained to us is a great gift. It's a great blessing from the Lord. So may the Lord use this Word, even though some of the words in this text today are so familiar to us, may He use it to penetrate down deep inside of us. As we look at the passage that's before us today, we see that Paul is continuing his particular expression of gratitude to the church in Philippi for the gift that they had sent by way of Epaphroditus. He had started to give thanks in verse 10, uh, verses 10 through 13 that we looked at last week, but he got started and got so into the theme of contentment that we saw in the 11, 12, and 13 of those verses, that now he has to redirect himself, say, okay, wait a minute, I got, I got distracted talking about contentment, and now I'm going to circle back around to that what I want, which I want to do, namely, I want to give you thanks, uh, and I want to express my gratitude. Now, having said that, I just want to let you know, starting into that once again, he'll requalify himself again uh, as he works his way through this particular expression in the verses. I'm going to read for us this morning from verse 10. I think 14 is where it starts in your bulletins. I'm going to read from verse 10 just so that we get the, the full scope of what Paul says here in uh, this section. I'm saving, just so you know, the last three verses of Philippians to kind of start us on a little bit of a Christmas theme uh, next week. So hear the word of the living God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment, and more I am supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Pleasing aromas. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that as the word is preached and as the word is heard, that it would be effective unto us, that we would hear appropriately how you would speak to us from this living word today. Give us that kind of attention, those kind of ears. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a great time of year to be speaking of uh, pleasant or pleasing aromas, uh, from, from turkey soup to Jewish apple cake to cider that seems to find its way on the stove to uh, kiss cookies or whatever cookies you're making for a cookie swap uh, coming up tomorrow night. Wonderful, delectable aromas seem to come out of the kitchen one after another. And I trust that you, I find it to be deeply pleasing, deeply satisfying to get a wonderful aroma that comes out of the kitchen. But of course, it begs the question, at least as it relates to our text today, what kind of aroma is pleasing to God? What kind of fragrance is acceptable to him? Now, I'm sure there are many things that we could say that would answer that question, that these things are pleasing to God, that these things are acceptable to God. But the focus of our passage today is that God loves. God is pleased with big-hearted generosity. God is delighted. He finds a pleasant aroma in people who lavishly, who graciously express charity and express their charity by giving. That is a pleasant thing to our God. And so it is a great time of the year to be speaking of pleasing aromas, and it is a great time of the year to be speaking together, as Paul calls it in verse 15, of this matter of giving and receiving. Paul, I trust we will appreciate, is in an awkward position as he's trying to express his gratitude because he is the apparent physical beneficiary of the giving of the Philippians. They have given it specifically to him, for Paul, in the situation in which he finds himself, but he is trying not only to thank them, but to teach them about giving, to show them what is actually happening happening as they are giving, to express delight in the giving, which all makes it seem like he wants more. <laughs> like, you've, you've, you've done really well, and, and now in complimenting them and teaching them about giving, it may seem like he wants more, and it is an awkward thing to do. I get it. I understand it, because it's happening right now. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to be in a position that is very similar to Paul's. I want to, from the Word of God, 
exhort you as a congregation to lavish generosity. I want to say to you, give and give freely and give joyfully, give wisely, give thoughtfully, give delightfully. But I have to do so as one who at least to some extent, in some way, is in fact a beneficiary of your generosity. You may not feel it, but I feel it. It is awkward. It's hard to actually stand here and do this. What I should have done is check to see if Ben Falconer over at Proclamation happened to be in Philippians 4 this morning, and we could have just switched places. Ben, you come over and preach to Christ the King, and I'll go preach to Proclamation. It'll free both of our tongues to say what needs to be said in the context of a church, and that way we don't have to feel the awkwardness. There's that awkwardness. There's also the awkwardness that exists, and it existed in Paul's day of, well, of knowing that there are charlatans and there are any number of schemes that are out there to separate us from our money, to get between us and our money. Some of them are religious in nature. Some of them these days are relational scams where you meet someone online and they just need a little bit of money to make the trip to come and to see you. Some of them are organizations that misspend the money that is donated to them for causes other than that which was promoted by them. Uh, there's, there's GoFundMe issues. There's kind of local GoFundMe issues of, uh, you know, hey, this looks like a really great situation. I can give to somebody and help them in need. And it turns out to be something quite other than what it appeared to be on the surface. And so, as I proceed with this today, I'm forced to proceed with a great deal of caution. And I want you to know something at the outset. I have no idea what you give. None. I don't know what a single person in this church gives to the church on a regular basis. I have no idea what you've given or what you've pledged to the building fund. None. It's by design. There's one family that I know their giving pattern. It's ours. Mine, Lauren. That's, that's the one I know. Other than that, I don't know anything about what you give. So if you wonder, why didn't Eric thank us for that generous check that we put in the plate? It's because I have no idea. I don't know if and I don't know any amount. In my time here at Christ the King, I've been here for eight and a half years. I have touched, I believe, three checks. I don't even touch my paycheck. <laughs> um, but I've touched three checks. One, I found on the floor. Okay, was, there was a check laying on the floor. Look around, no deacon. I pick up the check. I hand it to a deacon. That's one. Two, I was getting ready to start a service. And someone walked up and handed me an envelope. And I'm getting ready to start the service. I, I, okay, I, we'll get this to a deacon as soon as possible. Three, someone gave me a check at Panera. I did everything I could to say, no, come to the church, put it in a plate, give it to somebody at the church. There was no option here. I'm leaving it on the table. Those are the three times that I have ever touched a check at Christ the King. My salary is not determined by fluctuations in giving from one week to the next. It's determined by the congregation, the session, and the diaconate setting and approving the budget. And our church is regularly audited. That said, 
and that all clear, here's the application of the sermon today in in case you miss it. People of Christ the King Presbyterian Church, give. Give. Generously. And thoughtfully. And lavishly. And all of those great words. Give. That's what Paul is trying to encourage. Because God delights in it. God delights in sacrificial giving. It is a pleasing aroma to him and to those who give in that kind of way, there is a promise given. The promise is he will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. We'll consider that in order today. The earthly benefits of giving, the heavenly benefits of giving, the promise of God connected to giving, and the end of all of our giving and receiving. So first, the earthly benefits of giving. If you want to follow along with me, the earthly benefits are found in verses 14 through 16 of this text. Giving is to say say it very simply, it is practically beneficial in the kingdom of God. Giving, tithes and offerings, is a system that has been established by God from the earliest pages and the earliest parts of Scripture. And that's why Paul, having talked about contentment, can return in verse 14 to say, yet it was kind of you to share. And kind of you here sounds very different than it actually is in the original. This is actually the word for good. And what Paul is saying to them literally, and it sounds quite colloquial to us, but he's saying, you've done good. You've done good. There are plenty of times when Paul and others command the doing of that which is good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith, and that is seen in what they have done. Practically speaking, they collected an offering at the church. They found Epaphroditus who was willing to make the long journey to get it to Paul. They done good. And that's what Paul has to say to them. You've done well. In this. So, practically speaking, the giving is helpful. And Paul says, you shared, next, in my trouble. And what he's expressing there is that this is not only practical, it's also personal for him. His burden became their burden, and it is good for the people of God to bear one another's burdens. Now, we won't look at this, but if you were to look back in chapter 1, Paul notes that there are those who were in Rome at this time who actually sought to increase his trouble, increase his afflictions, increase his burdens while he was in prison. They saw it as an opportunity to go, okay, that upstart Paul, let's put him in his place a little bit here. Let's add to the burdens that he's got. But not the Philippians. Not the Philippians. For the Philippians, this was an opportunity to share and to bear the burdens that Paul had. And next in verse 15, Paul talks about their partnership. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. What Paul is saying here is very practically speaking, this giving and receiving is not the only way but it, very practically speaking, is the way that the gospel moves forward. When it's going out from Macedonia, 
Philippi, the first stop in Macedonia, when it's going out from Macedonia down to Thessalonica and then all the other places that it went to, it was enabled to do so in no small measure because the Philippians took on the responsibility of saying, we're helping this guy and his team. We're going to support this guy and his team by giving sacrificially so that when they get to these places, they can eat. They can rent some place to stay and have some place to sleep. In verse 16, that continues him saying, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Very simply, when you give in an earthly way, you help with needs that exist. In the Old Testament community, the community tithed in support of the ministry of the Levites. It was that simple. If you had a priestly tribe who was to be busy in the job of serving and administering the worship of God, then the community provided for them through their tithes and their offerings. And in the New Covenant, Paul says it just as clearly in 1 Corinthians 9. He says this, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. End quote. Paul says this is the system that God has established for the support of the worship of God and the extension of the kingdom of God as people like Paul go and travel with the gospel. Now, Paul is very, very reticent in general to apply that to himself. There's a right here that he has to receive payment, and there's an obligation that exists upon the churches to provide that which is his right. But he knows that to insist on that would be very confusing, or at least potentially confusing for these brand new churches, these brand new places where he's seeking to sow the gospel. He knows that others do that in a way that doesn't have integrity. And so Paul, as a whole, has chosen not to do that. He has chosen not to receive support from the churches with this exception. One generous exception, and the generous exception that he has is for the generous Philippians. So, earthly benefits. There are earthly benefits of giving and receiving that are both practical and personal. It is the linking of hearts, the supplying of needs, the advancement of the ministry of the gospel. That's the way it has been, and that's the way it is by, in fact, God's appointment, which brings us then next to the heavenly benefits of giving. With verse 17, we come to this transition between Paul talking about that which is earthly and helpful in terms of meeting needs, and then Paul looking beyond that as well. But as soon as he begins to speak of this, he has to do another one of these. Let me step back, and I need to qualify something here so that you don't misunderstand what I am saying. So what he says as he begins there, verse 17, not that I seek the gift. I didn't seek it. You sent me a very generous gift by way of Epaphroditus. But just to be clear, I hadn't sent an emissary to you saying, hey, I could use some help here while I'm in prison. I could use a little bit of income. And he didn't write him a letter and express that he needed this help. I did not 
seek the gift. And what he says in addition to that is, I'm not seeking any right now. Okay, so let's be, let's be very clear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I didn't seek it originally, and with what I'm writing to you right now, I'm not seeking it right now either. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Paul is using here uh, two things at the same time. He's using the language of commerce to address them, but the language of commerce then, as it does a little bit now, but in the Greco-Roman world this was true as well, the language of commerce also combined with the, the language of friendship in this idea of reciprocity, of credits and debits that exist. One can recognize levels of this, right? You can talk about commerce, you can talk about the world of business, and you can talk about the obligations of reciprocity that exist in business. And they are exactly that. They are obligations. They are legal obligations. If somebody has given you a product or rendered you a service, you are legally obligated to reciprocate with the payment for that, those goods or services that have been given to you. So we get reciprocity on the commercial level, but then reciprocity also takes place in friendships as well. It's different, right? It, you don't want it to have completely the business feel within friendships, but in a good friendship, it's a matter of giving and receiving that takes place in a friendship. And then to complicate it one step further, Paul, and one can look at this and kind of go, okay, now how does that, we recognize that there's a commerce world, there's a friendship world, and it's even complex within the friendship world, but what does that mean within the gracious kingdom of God? Jesus has given to us all things. What does it mean to reciprocate when you've been given such a gift in Christ, by Christ, of Christ himself? The feel of each one of those ideas of reciprocity is slightly different, but I love the way that one author puts it when he's talking about verse 18. He suggests that Paul here is just using a little bit of friendly humor, and I think this is exactly right, to essentially say to them, here's your receipt. Okay? These are his friends. These are his beloved family in Christ. And what he's saying to them is, listen, I am so well supplied by you. You've, you've given sacrificially. I'm content even before you gave sacrificially. I'm so well supplied that, can I just give you a receipt? Can I, can I just write something on paper that says, paid in full, you have no debts to me. There's nothing that you owe me at all. And that's Paul's way of kind of clearing the deck, clearing the air between them. Just to say, whatever you're doing, please don't give me any more because you don't owe me anything. You've been so generous and you've been so gracious to me that Paul's saying, listen, on the personal level, on the practical level, on the needs, ministry, earthy level, I'm good. I'm all filled up. I'm good, we're good, we're good. There's nothing between us, you don't owe me anything. I'm tempted to say, this game exists in the church as well, where we feel this weird indebtedness to one another, and I'm not talking about now pastor and congregation, 
but it happens between friends, and we're always trying to figure out. Somebody said to us the other day, we owed that to you. We owed such and such to you. You didn't owe it to us. We're friends, and, and, and you, don't, you don't owe in that way. Anyway, idea here is Paul saying everything's paid up. We're all set. Now, if you can accept the fact that on an earthly level everything is settled, great, because I want to make something else clear. That has to be clear so that I can get to the main thing, namely this, that in your giving something else is taking place that is far more important, that is far more valuable to Paul and to the Philippians as well than material supply of needs. Paul is delighted that they are storing up credit to their account in heaven. That when they give credit and the last day when Jesus returns, credit is stored up for them at that point, and it's being kept there safe and secure. It is the fruit that increases to your credit. And if we reference that back to chapter 1, he uses almost the exact same language to describe the good works that they do that will be made known and rewarded on the last day when Jesus returns. The fruit that increases to your credit in giving, we all know this, right? In giving, kids, you empty whatever it is, your wallet, your bank, you take something out of that and you put it in the offering plate when it comes around. We recognize that in our giving, we are, in fact, lowering the amount of money that we have in our checking account, banking account, however you do your banking. It is going down. Think of it this way. Think of it as a sacrifice being offered. As the sacrifice is being offered, if you came and you brought bulls to church, and it was a sacrifice that you were offering up. As that sacrifice burned, it would be disappearing. It would be going. Maybe we can say it would be going up in smoke. And you could kind of look at this and go, okay, okay, there, there was money there. There was this amount that was there. I wrote a check. Now there's this amount. There was this amount that was in my wallet. I gave some of it, and now there's this amount that's in my wallet. Some has disappeared. But it's not. Even if it has been used, it is not disappearing. We are simply moving the investment to a more secure, higher-yielding fund. If your financial planner comes to you and says, listen, you've been doing okay with your investments, they're so-so, but I've got a way for you to be more secure with a higher yield, which of us would say, no thanks? I just like the way things are. I'm just happy with this kind of earthly 1%, whatever. Which of us wouldn't take that opportunity to do that? That is what Paul is saying to them. Do we appreciate this? Do you appreciate that in your giving? The reality that Paul speaks of is that you are moving those funds and they aren't just used up. 
They're not just used to keep the ministry going, to literally keep the lights on. Yes, your funds are used to keep the lights on. Not just literally used to keep the building warm. Yes, they are used to keep the building warm. They're not only used to keep the ministry of the word going in Conshohocken or to support ministries and missions around the world. All of that is true, Paul says, and more. And what Paul is saying here is exactly what Jesus said as well. Jesus said it this way, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Paul delights, as any parent would delight, not so much in the gift itself and not even just in the thought behind the gift. He's thankful for both of those. He's thankful for their thoughtfulness and sharing in his troubles. He's thankful for the gift itself and the advancement and the progress that is for the ministry of Christ. But what he's most thankful for is the credit that it gives to the Philippians in heaven. Is it something rich and valuable has been given to the Philippians as they gave to Paul? And that makes a dad smile. That makes a spiritual father look at that and go, Ooh, this is good. This is good. And we come to verse 19 and this incredible promise here that is connected to giving. Every one of these last four sections has ended in an incredible promise, and this one is no exception. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his glory in his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This, brothers and sisters, must be understood in the same way that we understood verse 13 last week. It is not a promise of wealth and pleasant circumstances. Paul is content, and he's writing this from prison. And Jesus was faithful in the household of God and was crucified on a cross. This is no promise that everything goes well and honky-dory for us. It is not a promise that if you write a check for $10 to the church, that you'll find $20 stuffed in your car seat somewhere or under your car seat that you'd forgotten about, or that somehow you'll get a rebate in the mail for $20 because you wrote a $10 check. It is not that. It is a reminder that your father, through Jesus Christ, is in possession of unlimited riches. Unlimited riches belong to your father, material, spiritual, relational whatever you want to think of as those riches. Unlimited ones belong to your Father, and you, in Christ Jesus, you are his heir. You get them all. Not a little bit. Not, a, not just a little portion. But in Christ Jesus, you're the heir not to an estate that has limits, so that if all of us are heirs of the same estate, you know, all of a sudden the really valuable estate became a little very small chunk. No. 
heirs of something of riches that are unlimited belong to the people of God. For now, we've got a down payment. We've got the Spirit of God. We've got the fellowship of the saints. We've got the peace of God. We've got the God of peace. We've got the opportunity to learn contentment in our lives. The down payment is made. But this promise that is made here in verse 19, this promise is quickened as we give. Not before. It comes alive as we give. Then you realize this promise and not until that point, which brings us to the end. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the end of our giving. It's the goal for all of our giving. A praise, a doxology, the chief end of our giving and receiving as the chief end of our lives is the glory of God. Giving communicates concern. Giving is a sharing of lives. Giving helps with practical needs that go on in the life of the church. It enables the advance of the gospel. It increases credit to our accounts in heaven. Giving has incredible promises that are attached to it. They are part of this. They are a way that God is glorified in all things. But the call here is for us to be deliberate and to give unto the glory of God. To, as we give, recognize what we are doing. We are not just supporting the work of the church, although we are. We are giving unto the glory of God. That is an offering which in Christ Jesus, who offered himself on our behalf, is pleasing to God. Your offering, your gifts, when given in that way, make your heavenly Father smile with delight. I hope that if the incarnate Lord Jesus walked into our household on one of those nights when Lauren's making dinner and one smell after another replaces each other, I hope that he would like that. I hope he would find it to be a pleasant aroma. I know, we know from the scriptures that the aroma of giving is pleasing to him. And so, brothers and sisters, did you miss the application at the beginning? Is it young lives? Is it the church? Is it the building? Is it giving lots of cookies at the cookie swap? Is it other people who are in need? Is it missionaries who are on the field? Here's the call. Glorify God. Store up for yourselves credit in heaven. And give generously. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you for your gifts that you have given to us. And we pray that you would help us to give generously. All sorts of things compete against that, worry about our future, concern for will we have enough, what happens if we give things away. Lord, help us to give generously. 
Help us to do so wisely and thoughtfully, with care. But Lord, protect us from being stingy with all that you've entrusted to us. Help us to believe the promises. And Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen.